I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, June 20th, 2021, and this is episode 125 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is progress. There's a couple of areas of my life where I'm making really good progress, and I'm very grateful for that. Obviously, the writing. Writing is going well, and I will talk more about that in my writing update in a moment. But the other area that I'm super excited about to see progress is climbing. So my rock climbing, I'm almost back to where I was before I sprained my wrists two years ago. I was uh, I do top rope climbing in the gym, and... Um, I was climbing 11 A's, which is the difficulty of the route, and I'm climbing 10 D's now, a little bit, which is one level below where I was before, uh, 10 C's and D's. And so it's been a really long haul. It's been physical therapy and um, a lot of resting and pushing and then like realizing I pushed too hard and going backwards, like, you know, two steps forward, one step back. But uh, knock on wood... I have not injured myself. Uh, they're still not, my wrists are not what they were before. And I don't think they ever will be, but they're holding out. They're, they're staying strong. And it's really fun to be able to increase the difficulty and do the thing that I love more than anything else. Um, so I'll be climbing outside for the first time in two years in July. And hopefully, uh, we're, my husband and I are, are planning a trip to Denver sometime this fall. And I'm hoping to get outside again in Denver like I did, I guess it was three years ago when I climbed in Clear Creek Canyon and I did my first multi-pitch. So yes, I'm, I'm very excited about that. It just makes me happy to be, you know, on the mend, trying my best to take care of myself physically and in all of the other ways too. So, writing update. As I said, I am making progress. I have 23,500 words back in the manuscript. So what happened when I started working on it again, after I sort of figured out the problem and re-plotted everything in my sequences and my chart, I in Scrivener, I took everything out of the manuscript folder and I put it in a folder called Draft 1. And then as I go through the things that I can reuse, I bring them back one scene at a time as I'm working on them. And so basically it's starting from scratch, but not really. You know, I'm still working on, I'm still bringing in the old scenes and, and tweaking them and revising them whenever I can. I just need that sort of clean slate inside that manuscript folder so that I know my word count, I know where I am in the manuscript, and uh, I, I can ha- I can feel like I'm starting fresh. And that is working. I have a lot more chapters than I did before, I think, and I haven't counted them because I just, I have bullet points on this, this chart that I'm using as my outline. Sometimes the bullet point is one scene, which is one chapter. Sometimes, like yesterday or the day before, I realized, oh, this is two, I have to split this up. So I'm not really worried about it too much. I am planning my schedule, my loose plan, based on the number of sequences. So I have nine sequences planned out, and each one has about three, well, four to five bullet points per sequence, and approximately that many chapters. So my goal for the end of this weekend, which is today, is to get through sequence four. I I worked on sequence three yesterday, and 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that because I thought more of it would be reusable in, in, in this, the fourth sequence and I could sort of get everything done in a day. But I think I will have to write some new words. So I might have to push that till Monday or Tuesday. But it's still, I'm still pushing forward. I'm still trying to hit the mid-July date to get this to the editor for a, a manuscript review, which is what I've been doing recently instead of a full developmental edit with my freelance editor. I, um, it's a little bit cheaper and a little bit faster to do a manuscript review. So for my, the editor that, that I use, um, you know, a developmental edit will be her in, in the Word document with comments about, you know, line, like line comments, not line editing, but like going through and, and making comments about everything. But where the manuscript review is a little bit more high level, um, instead of the in document comments, I get like an edit letter which is closer to what the traditional publishing uh, developmental edit is. Anyway, I haven't gotten a an in-document um, developmental edit for TradPub. So I'm still pushing towards that same goal. I, had, I decided that, or I, I said that I'm going to make the final decision at the end of the month. So in 10 days, I, I'll see where I am. If I, if I am where I hope to be, then I can push and, and make it. Because it's not like a copy edit. It's not like I have to give her my best and final. It's just something that's clean that she can look at and tell me where I'm still having pro- plot or character or, you know, other kinds of problems. She has a whole rubric and uh, it's really super helpful. So that is going well. Also, for those listening to this in real time, my paranormal romance story, Angelborn, is free on all retailers until the end of June. So if you haven't read any of my books yet and you are waiting for something to be free, uh, ch- check that out. I-, I love Angelborn. It's a contemporary paranormal romance with half angels and humans with powers, and it's a lot of fun. I also do have a, a, a perma-free short story, The Cupid Mix-Up, which is the first book in the Cupid Guild, if anyone is interested in checking out the writing. But yeah, Angelborn free until end of June 2021. A few weeks ago, or months ago, time passes so fast these days. I I was talking on the podcast about what do you need to know in order to be able to write. And I should have gone back and listened to what I said, but I think I revised my my idea about it. Or maybe it's the same, but it's just tweaked. Because part of the issue that I was having with, you know, this latest problem in, in the story in Savage City that I'm writing right now is it had to do with her wound and the and the main character's pain. And it had to do with the blood on the page, which I think I talked about before. But I realized that now that I'm writing it and it's feeling better and it's feeling like I'm going deeper, is that I really didn't have a good handle on the character's inner pain when I was writing it before. I was trying to... I didn't want her to be a maudlin or like sad, dopey, sad sack character. Um, but, you know, I wanted her personality to be a little bit more outgoing and extroverted and positive. She's an optimist, but there's still a core of pain that comes from the character's wound that you have to tap into. And when I changed her backstory and I, I changed her wound, I changed her history, I was able to, to dig deeper and to actually connect with her more. And I think that's allowed me to to feel more comfortable and to get a better handle on it. Whereas, you know, I thought I was doing that before, but I can see now looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, that I really wasn't. 
Um, and I don't know. I think for me, as a writer, I really just need to connect to that. Like you have to, even when I'm writing people who aren't like me, um, if I'm writing a character whose personality is completely different to me and who's even, their wound is different than my wounds, but the fact that they have that wound that causes that pain that I can relate to, even if it's different, a different cause. I just really need to be able to tap into that. And that's like opening that vein, putting the blood on the page. It, it pushes me forward. It, it allows me to, to just go deeper into the story. And I guess I have to remember from now on to be aware when that's not happening. When I'm skating the surface of a character, even in the first draft, um, like when you're, you know, to a certain degree, you're supposed to be on the surface level of a, of a fast draft. But yeah, that just, I've been thinking about that. And I, I think that that has been a problem with this book and maybe all the way through. I don't know. Because the, the thing that really interests me about this story, and I, I had to go back, you know, when I was looking at everything again, uh, I looked at that, that thing that was the most interesting to me. And it's this struggle that this character Talia has. Um, so the premise of the book is that she's pulled out of our world. She's thrown into this world of, of warring shifters and she's mistaken for their princess. And so the king, her father, is her father from her real world. I mean, he looks the same because she looks the same as, as the princess. And, but their relationship is totally different. And so I'm playing around with this tension between, you know, what happens when everything is unfamiliar, but this man, you have this very tense relationship in, in the real world, completely different in this world, and you want to stay. But he's also a tyrant. <laughs> and that has like always been at the core of the, the thing about the story that I love. And so I had to dig down deep into her relationship with her father in the real world. And I'd gone through many iterations of, you know, what had happened there. And I was sometimes going off the rails. <laughs> with just all these ideas brainstorming. And I settled back on something that had been in a previous draft. And it felt right again. Because um, sometimes I'm, I try to do too much. Like I tried to juggle too many balls in my setup and my backstory, and there was too much going on. Um, I've talked about with this story, having to pare down the world a little bit. I kind of did that. And then some of those things actually snuck back in. <laughs> But they feel manageable now, whereas in previous iterations, they felt a little unmanageable. I hope they're manageable. I guess I will find out when I get feedback on this book. Knowing what their pain is and really being able to figure out how, or not even figure out, it's not a conscious thing. It's just, do I connect with this on an emotional level? And how do I write that? How do I um, use the emotions that I've had personally in my life and overlay them onto this character and, and her history and her wound and her journey. And I think that's what I need to know before I begin writing from now on. I've also been taking this course on um, writing better scenes. And it's interesting because there's a, there is a um, critique portion of the course. So we're kind of grouped into pods. And I think our pod is at six people right now. And Every week we critique two different two people's scenes based on what you know we're learning and to reinforce the learning. And I think that's a really smart way to take a course because I've signed up for lots of courses in the past where you're just, oh, it's self-paced, you're on your own, you just do it when you feel like it. And on the one hand, that's nice, but I 
rarely actually complete the courses that way. Like I try, I start them, almost never do I finish them if I'm honest. So I think an online course with like a component with where you have a group that you can talk to because she's encouraged us to meet with our group separately to the course meeting. So there's like a lecture, there's a video, and then we meet on Google Meet once a week and to sort of review what we learn to talk about questions and, and these are the people that you're critiquing. So it's good to know them, to have a face with the name and the story. And just that simple act of showing up once a week as part of the time that you set aside for the course and talking about it with people and reviewing it. It ensures that I do the course, that I actually pay attention, that I read the stuff and watch the videos. And I'm just getting so much more out of it. Even aside from being critiqued, aside from that portion of it, having that reinforcement. And it's like accountability partners, like with anything else, you know. I talk about accountability a lot, especially with newer writers who are trying to finish the first book. I only finished books because I had people. You know, I finished NaNoWriMo because we, we got together on Google Meet, Google Hangouts, and wrote together. And even now, writing every morning with someone is is so, so helpful. So taking courses with other people is uh, the new hot tip. <laughs> I wish that more courses had that as an option, because even with this one, you don't have to do the critique part. And so you can you can skip it, but um, it's it's part of it. And it's really been really valuable. So even if it's like, oh, get together with some of your friends and do a course, if, it, if this isn't included in that, and then create your own accountability partners. Or, you know, usually with most courses, there's some kind of group, there's a a Facebook group or a forum or something. And see if you can get people together who are interested in meeting regularly, reviewing things, talking about what you've learned, and um, it helps you to retain things. It helps when other people ask questions, you can explain things that you understand, and then vice versa. I was thinking about this because um, I subscribed to this woman named Marie Poulin, her newsletter. And she's a Notion expert. Notion is the software that I use to organize things like notes and databases. uh, I've talked about it before because it replaced Evernote for me. And so in her um, newsletter, she was talking about how to take courses better. And she actually schedules time into her schedule. She's like an organizational guru also using Notion to organize her business and her life. And she time boxes uh, the what the coursework. She adds the course that she's taking as a project that she's working on, just like I would do for my clients, but I rarely do it for myself. And um, and part of the time that she time boxes is for checking the forums and uh, you know interacting with the community. And so, yeah, I think that if I and I do like to take courses, so I think at least once a year I try to take something. In the future, if it's not part of it to have a community, you know, working to create that on your own is is a way to get more out of any courses that you're taking. I've also been listening to the Six Figure Author podcast a bit. And sometimes they have guests and sometimes they just kind of talk about publishing, self-publishing topics on their own. And sometimes these kind of podcasts are a bit much because I love getting information. I am high input as a personality, which means I like learning things and knowing all the things. Uh, But sometimes when you can't put it into practice, it is not ideal, not helpful. So I, I didn't listen to this podcast for a long time. But since I am, you know, 
self-publishing this novel again next year. I thought I would start up with some of the self-publishing podcasts that I I put on the back burner when I was focused only on my traditional contracts. But one of the things that is difficult is when you're listening to, to people who are six and seven figure authors who've been writing for seven, eight, nine years, and they started in a completely different climate of self-publishing than you did, a lot of times you can't take their advice. You know, it's different with someone who's like, okay, I just started a new pen name this year. I'm starting from scratch. That is a person that is that whose advice you can deal with because they're starting at a similar level as you. But like someone like Marie Force, who has a Facebook group and gives advice, it's like, I can't take any of Marie Force's advice because she makes millions of dollars self-publishing. She's been doing it for 10, 15 years. I don't know. And nothing that she has to say is relevant to me, you know, what I'm doing. Uh, so, you know, learning to pick who you listen to and, and what you listen to is really important, especially when you're like me and you just want the information, you just want to learn as much as possible. I was listening to, you know, various ones in the various episodes of the podcast. And it just got me thinking about like, what if you just want to write? And with traditional or self-publishing, there's there's plenty of people who who just want to write. And it's not really feasible for either path. Certainly not self-publishing if you want to actually make money. You know, there there are some outliers who can just put a book up and it makes lots of money um, and they don't do anything. But for the rest of us, you know, there's usually a lot of actions and there's lots of advice about what you should be doing and uh, all of that. Honestly, it is exhausting, you know, thinking about, oh, I have to learn how to do ads, Facebook ads and Amazon ads and BookBub ads and schedule these promotions and keep up with which promotions are working. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of things to think about when you're self-publishing and you're trying to actually sell people, sell books, tell people that your books exist, um, and have, and have a career. And it's like, I think about it a lot as I contemplate <laughs> what I'm doing. And it, it all goes back to like, why do you want to write? You know, you want to write because you have a story to tell. You, you have this need inside you to put your thoughts and ideas and imagination into words and you think that other people will like it. And if you get it into the marketplace and you have anyone reading it, anyone liking it, you know, that spurs you on too. It's like, oh, people like these stories. I feel like my stories are needed in the world. And, you know, each of us have our, our unique way to express ourselves that someone else can appreciate. And, you know, marketing is part of that, but that's not why most people want to write. I don't think. There are the people that are like, ooh, you can make money on Kindle. Let me hire some ghostwriters. And, uh, you know, that's that's different. I'm talking about people who just love writing and wanted to tell stories for a living. And, yeah, it's it's tiring. It's exhausting. I don't want to do any of those things. <laughs> I look at um, my very good friend, Inez Johnson, who is a six-figure author and is always like when we write in the mornings a she um there's a one of the software that allows you to check your sales makes a little you have the option to make a sound whenever you sell a book it goes to ching and that motivates her and uh that would drive me absolutely insane but b she checks her sales every day she checks her ads every day sometimes multiple times a day i mean i think she definitely checks everything multiple times a day i'll check my sales like once a week 
if that. Um, but obviously, if I was selling more, maybe I would be more impelled to, sell, to check it more. But like, yeah, I recognize that I can't do nothing. I do have to focus in on the things I enjoy doing, the things that I don't hate, I guess. And also, one of the things that was um, mentioned on that podcast which is absolutely true. It's like, yes, you don't have to do any of this, but set your expectations accordingly. So the people who are going to get really into ads and marketing and do all the things and do it every day, uh, they have a higher chance of meeting higher sales goals because those are the things that people who sell a lot do. And people who are like, ah, I don't really feel like doing any of that. Well, that's fine. Just make sure that your goals are set accordingly and your expectations are set. Like, yeah, I'm not going to sell as much because I'm not willing to do all of those things. But it's not like a. I think a lot of times, especially on these like these sort of sell a lot of books podcasts, it's like, well, if you're not doing that, then you're not serious about your business and you're not. Um, it's like a value judgment, and I don't think it should be a value judgment. I think it should just be a statement of yeah, do what you want, and adjust your expectations accordingly. And it's something that I have to keep reminding myself because I'll know it and then I will learn something else, some new technique, some new thing that people are trying. I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to try that. And then I'll remind myself, but I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I don't, I, I could probably try it, but if I'm honest with myself, I'm not going to be able to keep it up long term. And, and I'll remember that. And that'll be fine for a while. And then I will forget. And I'll be like, oh, I should try this, this, and this. And then I'll be like, oh, no. No, Leslie. <laughs> I mean, I think that most people would love to be earn seven figures writing and be New York Times bestsellers and all of that. Um, love to get like a seven-figure advance from digital publishing. Like whatever the, the highest things you can do is, uh, if it's possible to achieve, like, yeah. That's something that I could do. Like, if other people could do it, why can't I? That's sort of the way I was raised. My parents always tell me that. Like, if there are people doing a thing, then there's no reason why you can't do it too. And I take that to heart. But the the reason why I can't do that thing is because I, I'm not willing to take the steps that they took to do that thing. If I was willing to take all those steps, then that sort of that sort of confidence and optimism is reasonable. But saying like, oh, I want to make seven figures – but not putting in any of the effort that those people did is not is not reasonable. You know, you think of like, oh, that would be nice. But why why am I writing in the first place? That's always my grounding thought and and always reeling myself back into yes, I want to be successful. What is successful? You know, quarter the next quarter of this year is starting and part of the HB90 method, the Sarah Cannon quarterly planning method is reviewing your quarter and reviewing your goals and you know what does success look like for you and sort of establishing that fresh and new each time so that you know that if success means this what are the things that will get me there and how do I break them down into achievable chunks that I can do a little bit every day and move closer to that sometimes it's it's monetary goals like I want to double my income or 10x my income or whatever. I want to reach a certain dollar amount or a certain number of sales or a certain social media amount. Then you break down what's needed to do that. And that's something I have to think about this this next couple of weeks, I guess, before July 1st, before quarter three begins. Taking another look at 
what success is to me and then um, setting my goals accordingly. I think that'll be really important. And I don't know right now. Like, I think I have to do some soul searching about what success means to me in terms of the things that I'm actually willing to do to get to these goals that will make me successful, at least in the short term, right? Because I think that maybe the things from last year or the year before might not apply. And I have to, once again, be honest with myself and not allow other people's goals to be mine when they're not. And they have these artificial things that um, aren't really meaningful to me. And I've been listening to more audiobooks. Um, I've been having some eye strain and, oh, because of, yeah, the ulnar nerve issue I talked about a while ago. I'm still trying to make sure that I'm ergonomically good and I don't want the, the numbness I was having in my hands from from writing and from reading my Kindle. And so audiobooks is a good idea. Audiobooks are difficult for me, but I'm trying to get at least fiction audiobooks. And I'm getting a little bit better at being able to focus and listen and not have my mind wander. You know, I don't commute. I don't, uh, I'll take walks occasionally. I walk the dog, but I don't like to listen to things when I'm walking because I have pit bulls and I have to be really vigilant about my surroundings and other dogs and other, you know, when I'm walking a pit bull. So I listen to audiobooks when I wash the dishes and fold laundry and do things around the house. And I was thinking, or I think I heard someone mention, you know, if you sit down to read, there's no reason why you can't just sit down and listen to an audiobook. Just sit in your chair and listen like you would read. And it feels so weird, right? Like, it feels like you should be doing something. And I'm like, should I learn to knit? Like, I used to crochet when I was a kid, but I don't remember how to do that. I need to have something to do with my hands. I was playing games on my phone, like I would play solitaire or mahjong or something. Um, and that got to be a pain. So I was like, oh, I never got into that coloring book craze from a couple of years ago. Maybe I'll get some coloring books and color while I listen to audiobooks. And I went online to try to find some coloring books. And I was like, I don't have to buy pencils and where I'm going to put them. But then I was like, oh, the iPad probably has coloring books. And I had gotten an iPad for my birthday with the Apple Pencil. And they do. I downloaded a couple of apps for adult coloring books. And that is a really good way for me to do something while I'm sitting there on the couch and listening to my audiobook. So that is just a realization I came to that I thought I would share. If anyone out there wants to have something to do with your hands while you listen to an audiobook, it's very fun. I mean, a regular coloring book is a lot cheaper than the iPad Pro, so that works too. And question of the week, do you listen to audiobooks? And if so, what do you do while you listen to them? So you can answer in the comments on YouTube or on my website, elfenelope.com, for this episode. I would love to hear any other suggestions that you have for things to do while you listen to audiobooks. Do you sit down in a chair and listen like you sit down and read? Um, it's such a weird feeling, but it's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so yeah, that's it for me for this week. Um, the goal for the week is to get through, I want to get through sequence six of this novel by next Sunday. And that's going to be aggressive, but I'm going to try and see what happens. And I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox or leave a comment, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network 
For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.